We want to thank you for tuning in to the Underground Christian Network today. Our topic today is Effective Witnessing Techniques for Jehovah's Witnesses. For many years, the Jehovah's Witness religion has served to confuse and frustrate a lot of Christians who have tried to witness to them. They have not been able to understand why it is that these people, on the one hand, claim to be Christian, yet they reject 99 out of 100 Christian doctrines, or why they claim to be Bible students while they reject what the Bible says. So I wanted to put together a message for my Christian brothers and sisters out there who have taken on the challenge of trying to witness to Jehovah's Witnesses and have found themselves very frustrated not being able to put their hand on what's the problem in dealing with them. Anyone who's involved in this field of ministry knows that there is no one cookie-cutter way of reaching these people. Each Jehovah's Witness is different, yet at the same time they're very much the same. A person enters into that group with individuality, but very shortly after getting into the group, they come under mind control. A very strong mind control, in fact, very effective mind control done by their leaders, and the way that it's done is very simple. They come to your door pretending to be Christians. They learn to talk Christian talk using Christian terminology. Many Christians don't realize, though, that even though Jehovah's Witnesses use Christian terms, they have changed the definitions of what these terms mean. The unsuspecting person at the door thinks they're dealing with Christians, so when this Jehovah's Witness asks them if they want to have a free home Bible study, the person accepts. Rather than getting a Bible study, they end up getting indoctrinated. I've heard way too many times the testimonies of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses who say that Jehovah's Witnesses came to their door asking to give a free home Bible study, but rather than receiving a Bible, they received another book by the Jehovah's Witness leaders, and they ended up studying that book. The Bible is hardly ever used. Even today, if you go to a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall and look at their door on their schedule, you will see Watchtower Study, which is a study of their Watchtower magazine, and you will see Book Study, which is a study of Watchtower books. But the Bible, where'd it go? Jehovah's Witnesses are not Bible students. Neither do they know what the Bible teaches, and this is very important for you to understand, they don't care what the Bible teaches. Let me say it again. They don't care what the Bible actually says. We have to understand this about Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians. Because they're not Christians, we can't deal with them in a normal Christian manner, which means you can't go to them and whip out your Bible and begin quoting verses to them because they don't see the Bible as their final authority. For we who are Christians, we have two final authorities. We have Jesus Christ and we have the Bible. For the Jehovah's Witness, they have one final authority, and that is whatever their leaders say the truth is. If their leaders say the truth is one thing today, then the Jehovah's Witnesses will believe that that's the truth. If the leaders change their mind and begin teaching something the complete opposite tomorrow, Jehovah's Witnesses will begin teaching the exact opposite, following right along with what the leaders say. It does not matter to them what the Bible clearly says, and I'm going to show you some demonstrations of that as we go on. One thing you need to know about Jehovah's Witnesses also is that they don't have a mind of their own. 
Once they have given themselves over to the Jehovah Witness religion, they literally turn over their mental processes to the leaders of the group so that the leaders can program them the way that they want them to be programmed. Jehovah's Witnesses are under the thought and belief that their leaders are from God, and therefore anything their leaders say must be obeyed. That is one thing that is indoctrinated into them from day one, that the leaders of the group are never to be questioned, they are never to be challenged, and they are never to be put to the test. Anything they say, Jehovah's Witnesses are to believe it and accept it without question, even if what they say and teach goes clearly against the text of Scripture. I'm going to show you the arrogancy of these leaders of the group, as I pull out here in my files a copy of a transcript from a court case that took place in 1954 in Scotland. In this court case, the leaders of the Jehovah's Witnesses were put on trial, and the leaders of the Jehovah's Witnesses had to come and take the stand. This is what the front of the transcript had to say here. This court case, Douglas Walsh versus the Right Honorable James Latham Clyde, MPC, etc., was held in the country of Scotland in the year 1954. During the trial, officials of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society attempted to establish that Jehovah's Witnesses was a religion with ministers who should be exempt from military subscription in Scotland. The trial produced testimony of a most controversial and enlightening nature, which gives the reader a look at the inside of the Watchtower Society's policy-making process. Douglas Walsh, a JW Congregational Overseer, and the Society's highest officials, including the Vice President, later President, Fred W. Franz, gave revealing testimony proving that Jehovah's Witnesses live under a religious dictatorship which denies independent thinking to its adherents and forces Jehovah's Witnesses to accept and preach false prophecy to their neighbors. That's what it says on the front of this copy of transcripts that I have. Now some would say that's pretty strong talk. What do you mean Jehovah's Witnesses don't have the freedom to think for themselves? Well, let's start off first of all with what the leaders themselves had to say in the transcript. In the transcript on page 347, we begin a question-answer period where the lawyer is questioning the vice president of the Jehovah Witness religion. Uh, his name at that time was Hayden Covington, and this is what Hayden Covington had to say. This is a high-ranking Jehovah's Witness at that time, Hayden Covington. Uh, when the lawyer asks a question, I'll say question when he... Uh, when Hayden Covington gives an answer, I will say answer. That way you can see where how the conversation goes. The lawyer says, question, back to the point now. A false prophecy was promulgated? Answer, I agree that. Question, it had to be accepted by Jehovah's Witnesses? Answer, that is correct. Question, if a member of Jehovah's Witnesses took the view himself that a prophecy was wrong and said so, he would be disfellowshipped? Answer, yes, if he said so and kept persisting in creating trouble. Because if the whole organization believes one thing, even though it be erroneous, and someone else starts on his own trying to put his ideas across, then there is disunity and trouble. There cannot be harmony. There cannot be marching. When a change comes, it should come from the proper source, the head of the organization, the governing body, not from the bottom upwards, because everyone would have ideas, 
and the organization will disintegrate and go into a thousand different directions. Our purpose is to have unity. Question, unity at all costs? Answer, unity at all costs. Because we believe and are sure that Jehovah God is using our organization, the governing body of our organization, to direct it, even though mistakes are made from time to time. Question, and unity based upon the enforced acceptance of false prophecies? Answer, that is conceded to be true. Question, and the person who expressed his view, as you say, that it was wrong and was disfellowship, would be in breach of covenant if he was baptized? Answer, that is correct. Question, and as you said yesterday expressly, he would be worthy of death? Answer, I think, question, would you say yes or no? Answer, I will say yes unhesitatingly. Question, do you call that religion? Answer, it certainly is. Question, do you call it Christianity? Answer, I certainly do. That is the view of the leaders of the Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe that God is using them whether they are right or wrong. They believe if they get it wrong, it's no big deal. If they prophesy falsely, it's no big deal. If they lie, it's no big deal. If they cheat and steal, it's no big deal in their eyes. They've even redefined what a lie is. I have here their books and magazines, quite a few of them, that I've purchased over the years because Jehovah's Witnesses are forbidden to read any other literature, spiritually speaking, but stuff that's written by their leaders. So I went and got a bunch of their books so that when they come to my door, I can show them what their leaders have had to say over the years, and oftentimes it's a real eye-opener for them because they never knew. And it's also been one of the techniques I've used to get a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses to leave the organization. One of the books I have here, this one is called Aid to Bible Understanding. It's a pretty thick book here. It's written like an encyclopedia. They have words and they have the definition that they want their people to use for these words. A very interesting definition they gave for the word lie. Page 1060, this is what they say the definition of a lie is. Lie, the opposite of truth. Lying generally involves saying something false to a person who is entitled to know the truth and doing so with the intent to deceive or injure him or another person. A couple paragraphs down it says, especially serious has been religious lies as they have endangered the future lives of future persons deceived by them. And then further down it says, Jehovah God cannot lie and he hates a false tongue. The thing I want to bring you up to is the first definition they give here. Lying generally involves saying something false to a person who is entitled to know the truth. To show you that that particular doctrine is still held to this day, first of all, this book here, A to Bible Understanding, was put together in uh, 1971. It's 1971 edition. They quickly got rid of this book and wrote another one because they had a false prophecy in their book, Aid to Bible Understanding. It's very embarrassing to them. So they wrote a new book, and in this new book, which was called Insight on the Scriptures, again, it's written the same way as the Aid to Bible Understanding book. It's written like an encyclopedia. This was from 1988. They still use it today. Again, under the title, Lie, page 244, this is what it says. Lie, the opposite of truth. 
Lying generally involves saying something false to a person who is entitled to know the truth and doing so with the intent to deceive or injure him or another person. You go forward a few paragraphs and it says the father or originator of lying is Satan the devil. Go down to the bottom paragraph on page 245. It says Jehovah cannot lie and he hates a false tongue. You go over to the next paragraph. It says, while malicious lying is definitely condemned in the Bible, this does not mean that a person is under obligation to divulge truthful information to people who are not entitled to it. Again, they're emphasizing the fact that in their religion, there are two groups of people. There are those who are entitled to know the truth and those who are not entitled to know the truth. That's their viewpoint. That's the viewpoint of the leaders. Some of the people who they classify as not entitled to know the truth are you and me, who are Christians. They've come to me at my door not knowing that I knew about their group and have point-blank lied to me about what their beliefs are. And then when I pull out their own books and show them they've been lying to me, they get mad and walk away. Jehovah's Witnesses are not independent thinkers. They are forbidden to be independent thinkers. This is their Watchtower magazine, their main magazine, for January 15, 1983, page 27. The title is Fight Against Independent Thinking. It says, As we study the Bible, we learn that Jehovah has always guided his servants in an organized way. And just as in the first century there is only one true Christian organization, so today, Jehovah is using only one organization. And they put the Bible verses here, which has absolutely nothing to do with them. It says, yet there are some who point out that the organization has had to make adjustments before, and so they argue, this shows that we should make up our own minds on what to believe. This is independent thinking. Why is it so dangerous? Such thinking is an evidence of pride. And the Bible says, pride before a crash and haughty spirit before stumbling. That's from their version. If we get to thinking that we know better than the organization, we should ask ourselves, where did we learn Bible truth in the first place? Would we know the way of truth had it not been for the guidance from the organization? Really? Can we get along without the direction of God's organization? No, we cannot. And it puts a couple of Bible verses here again. And it says, when we consider the mighty spirit forces that are fighting against us, we must acknowledge that in our own, on our own we could not possibly win, yet with God's backing, with the help and support of his organization, our worldwide organization of brothers, we cannot lose. And on and on and on they go, beating their chest, claiming that they are the true organization of God, presenting the truth, and Jehovah's Witnesses are never to question them. I showed this to a Jehovah's Witness elder that came to my door, and he lasted all of about uh, 45 seconds. I asked him, I said, are you an independent thinker? Oh, yes, sure. I said, can you explain this to me, please? He looked at it, walked out the door. I want to help you get some idea as to what kind of people you're dealing with. That's why I'm showing you these things. In the mind of their leaders, they have enforced into the Jehovah's Witness that it's not wrong to lie. If lying means getting people into the group, they'll do it. Lying to people while they're in the group is something that happens every day in their books and magazines and in their Bible version. You have to understand also, when they come to your door, they're going to come to your door with a counterfeit Bible called the New World Translation. 
Their Bible version was put together without proper scholarship. None of the men on their translation committee could read, write, or speak Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic. They simply took Bibles that already existed and wrote them word for word, changing anything they didn't like, taking out things they didn't want. Okay? So in their Bible version, for instance, the Trinity is gone, hell is gone, the deity of Christ is gone, the crucifixion on the cross is gone, the bodily resurrection is gone, the personality of the Holy Spirit is gone, and so forth. Anything that they didn't agree with, anything that didn't fit their religious beliefs, they simply took it out of their Bible. So the first point you need to understand is that Jehovah's Witnesses are coming to you using Christian terminology, but they have changed the definition of what these words mean. For instance, when we say Jesus Christ, we mean God in the flesh, the second member of the, of the triune Godhead, the one who was and is and is to come, the living God in human form, the one who came and died on the cross for us, rose again the third day, ascended back into heaven. He promised he would return again. He is God Almighty in the flesh. To the Jehovah's Witness, when they say Jesus Christ, they mean Michael the Archangel, a created creature, the first creature that Jehovah the Father created. And through this creature came forth all other things. They've even written in their Bible version, by the way, I'm using the word creature because that's what's used in their, in their publications. In their Bible version, for instance, They've taken the verse which says uh, Jesus uh, through him was created all things and so forth, and they stuck the word other in there. Through him were all other things created, because they teach that Jesus was created and then Jesus created everything else. That's not the same Jesus that we have. So we have to understand that you know when we're dealing with them, you need to get a definition of terms right from the very beginning, because they're going to be talking what sounds like Christian language, but they've changed the definition of what these words mean. The second thing you need to understand is that Jehovah's Witnesses are not rational. They're not logical. In their religion, for instance, they are taught that their religion is the truth. As a matter of fact, they call their religion the truth. If you ask them how long have they been a Jehovah's Witness, oftentimes they will answer you by saying, well, I've been a member of the truth for, and then they'll give you how many years they've been a Jehovah's Witness. They have been trained to call their religion the truth, even though all they have to do is look into their publications and they will see that their religion has a long track record of not being truthful and not being honest. Third thing you need to understand is that Jehovah's Witnesses believe whatever their leaders tell them. Their leaders tell them that born-again Christians are evil people, that Christian churches are wicked places. So the last thing that you want to do with a Jehovah's Witness is to go to them and trumpet the fact that you are a born-again Christian. It is almost a guaranteed that if you do that, the conversation is over right then and there because they don't want to talk to a born-again Christian. They are told that we are evil, demonic people. What you want to do instead is to go to them with a series of questions that will force them to think. Remember? In their magazine, they're told they're not to think independently. But if you hit them with the right questions, their mind is going to have to kick in. That brings me to the next thing. I've learned through the many years of witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses that there is about three different kinds of Jehovah's Witnesses. The first kind I call the veteran. 
The veteran is the person that's been there a long, long time. They have convinced themselves that that religion is the truth, and nothing that anybody says is going to change their mind. Okay, it doesn't matter how many facts you show them. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you show them. They've made up their own mind that their religion is the truth, and that settles it for them. If you run into a veteran, the only thing you can do is just give them your testimony and send them on their way. But wait. When you send them on their way, they're going to go to your neighbor's house. Keep an eye on your neighborhood. Watch them until the Jehovah's Witnesses leave your neighborhood. This is what you do. If they go to your neighbor's house and they go inside the house, mark that house. If they go to your neighbor's house, I mean any neighbors on your block. If they go to your neighbor's house and your neighbor takes the magazine, mark that house. When the Jehovah's Witnesses leave, go to these people's houses and warn them. Jehovah's Witnesses went into their house. Jehovah's Witnesses will come back to that house. If the person took the magazine, Jehovah's Witnesses have been trained that if somebody takes their magazine, they're interested in their religion. So you need to go and warn those people that Jehovah's Witnesses are going to come back and this is a dangerous cult that you don't want to get involved in. Now, the second kind of Jehovah's Witness is what I call the questioning veteran. The questioning veteran is somebody that's been there for a while and there have been some things that have happened inside the group that has them questioning whether or not the leaders of that group are really who they claim to be. Now, if you have the right answers at the right time or the right questions at the right time, you may be able to shake the tree until the nuts come down, which basically means you'll be able to answer those questions that have been bothering them, which will let them see that they've been deceived by the leaders of this group. One question that I would give Jehovah's Witnesses is I would say, um, I know you believe this religion is the truth and all, but... What is one thing that if you found out that the leaders of your organization had done it, you would know they were not really who they claimed to be? Just place the question out there. If they give you an answer, then I'm going to give you some places that you can go to get the answer. So that when they come back, you can say, oh, remember you, you mentioned that if, you know, you found out this, that, or the other, that you would know they were not who they claimed to be? Well, here, take a look at this. That's a technique that will work, too. For some, not for the veteran, but more than likely for the questioning veteran and the newbie, that would work. So uh, that's one technique you can use. The third kind of Jehovah's Witness is what I call the, the rookie or the newbies. But don't be deceived by the term rookie or newbie or new convert. If they're going door to door already, it means they've already gone through at least six months of indoctrination. They do not allow their people just to go out door to door unless they have been thoroughly indoctrinated. And even then, they send them out by twos or by fours. And what you'll usually end up with is you'll have the veteran standing next to a newbie. So that if the newbie gets tripped up, the veteran will interfere at every chance he or she gets. And I've had that happen several times. What you'll want to do is try to find out who the newbie is and focus your questions on them because odds are they haven't been indoctrinated uh, to the point where their mind has been completely saturated uh, with the full power of the brainwash. Uh, so those are the three categories of Jehovah's Witnesses that you're uh, liable to run into, the veteran, 
the questioning veteran and the newbie, and you need to be well uh, schooled in the King James Version Bible, which is the only accurately translated Bible in the English language. It's complete, and the Jehovah Witnesses cannot deal with the King James Version Bible. And be ready with some answers for them. The third thing you need to understand, since the leaders feel that it's okay to lie because in their mind the ends justify the means, if lying to somebody means they'll become a member of the group, then they're more than willing to lie to people to get them into the group. One thing that they've lied about is their Bible. You can ask them who wrote their Bible and they won't tell you. You can write to them and ask them who wrote their Bible and they won't tell you. They claim in the back of their purple interlinear version, which I have right here on page 1158, they have translated John chapter 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. The emphasis is they put a God at the end of their verse, a lowercase g God. When they were asked why did they translate John chapter 1, the word was a God, in this interlinear version they claimed that Dr. Julius R. Manti, in his book Manual Grammar of the Greek New Testament, supports their translation of the word was a God. Well, as a researcher, I decided to look into this. Let me read this for you first of all so you can see what they had to say. This is page 1,158 in their purple interlinear version. This is what they wrote. Careful translators recognize that the articular construction of the noun points to an identity, a personality, whereas the anterous con uh, construction points to a quality about someone. That is what a manual grammar of the Greek New Testament by Dana and Manti remarks on page 140, paragraph 7, according, accordingly on page 148, paragraph 3. What they're trying to say is that Dr. Julius R. Manti and Dr. Dana's book, Manual Grammar of the Greek New Testament, supports their translating John chapter 1, verse 1, the word was a God. So I went and got the book, Manual Grammar of the Greek New Testament. What I found is that on the pages that they mention, it says absolutely nothing whatsoever about the word was a God. Remember in their book, they said, lying generally means not telling the truth to one who is entitled to know the truth. They know Jehovah's Witnesses will believe whatever they say. They also know Jehovah's Witnesses is not going to go and look up the book, Manual Grammar of the Greek, to find out what it actually says. So if they can sit back and say, well, you know, this book written by these eminent scholars supports our view that this verse is translated properly, and all those Christian Bibles gets it wrong. They know Jehovah's Witnesses are going to believe that. What I want to do is I want to present to you Dr. Julius R. Manti in his own words. Does he really support the Jehovah's Witness Bible translation? Well, let's hear from Dr. Manti himself. Well, how did I get into this Jehovah's Witness business? <laughs> when I found out that they'd caught it from the Danimati Grammar from a paragraph that I myself have written on John 1, 1, I wrote an article for the Watchman Examiner published in, in uh, 
New York City and circulated all through the American Baptist Convention and other places. That article became the most read article of anything that I had written and perhaps have written even up to this time. I kept hearing from people in different places in the United States wanting a copy of that. And so I'd send that out to them. And finally, some people in California, where this fellow used to live, uh, got in touch with me and urged me to make tapes and make uh, trans correct translations of the passages that Jehovah's Witnesses had mistranslated. And they suggested that they would let me know what those passages are. If I would make a careful study of them, what the Greek really says about those passages, and write out what these distortions really are, and what the correct translations of those passages is, uh, they would be grateful to me, and they would furnish uh, uh, an instrument for me to and uh, blank tapes for me to use. And so I began, and I made ten tapes that I sent out there to California uh, on, on that, exposing them, and I fulfilled that mission in about two years' time. And then, all along, more and more people were getting in touch with me to write articles or to send them information. You all know how I was asked to write to the headquarters office at Jehovah's Witness. And I did that, asking them not to no longer quote me in favor of any of their doctrines or teachings. If they did, I would sue them, and they better be careful. And they have been careful. But I'm sorry, I'm sorry I didn't also ask them to take out of their New Testament the statement that they made when they said that something that I had said was very much like what they believed in. I had said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was Deity. Other people have said the word was God, and I thought, well, deity means the same thing, so I'll put it deity. And they said, well, deity is very much like a God. They don't have any uh, capital for their God. They just use a small letter for God, a God. And they said, deity is very much like that. Well, I didn't like what they said, <laughs> and so I protested. And uh, you know uh, the results. And many other articles I've written against them and so on. But here we are, and I'm going to talk to you now about some of these things that they have said in their, their Bibles and so on. And then maybe you can ask some questions if you have your desires for any further information. I read somewhere, I've forgotten whether it was in one of the Bibles of the Jehovah's Witnesses, or it was in the Watchtower Society statement, that, uh, let's see, oh yes, that uh, they got a hold of uh, a, a New Testament that was translated and got the right to use it, translated by Rotherham an Englishman who translated the first modern speech New Testament that I know of. 
Rotherham, and it's it's a very good one for that day. It was one very good. And then they said that they used Rotherham's translation, and they used the King James version. They didn't translate the New Testament. They are not the translators of the Kingdom Interlary translation. They are the distorters of translations made by other people. I haven't read any translation that is diabolical and as damnable as the Jehovah's Witness so-called translation. They have deliberately tried to teach people not to put their trust in Jesus Christ. They hate Jesus Christ. They're doing everything they possibly can to keep people away from him. Never to trust in him. Why? Because they're under the dominion and leadership of Satan. The scripture says that all that sin belongs to the devil. And they're committing the worst kinds of sin. We say that when a man murders somebody else, it's terrible and that's one of the worst sins anybody can possibly commit. But they go further than that in murdering. They murder the souls of men and send them to hell for eternity by the distortions that they have given in their translations of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. Mostly in the New Testament, as far as I know. I haven't done much research in the Old Testament because I've been so busy working on the New Testament. So they haven't translated this. They have just distorted the passages that they felt uh, didn't agree with their peculiar doctrines. About the 144,000. That was for Jews. Converts from the Jews, not from many of the Gentiles. That's Bosch. Slop. What they're after mostly is to destroy any possible faith in Jesus Christ. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Julius R. Mansi. I'm sure when you hear him for yourself, you can see very clearly that he does not in any way, shape, manner, or form support the Jehovah Witness Bible translation. But clearly, in the back of their purple interlinear version, uh, page 1158, they claim that he does. The reason why I'm letting you hear this, again, is to let you see that when they come to your door, honesty is not their policy. So if you want to understand why they're so hard to reach, one, they're speaking a different language. Two, they're under mind control. Three, they're not rational. They're willing to lie to you. If lying to you means you can you know, join the group, they're willing to do it. And their leaders have led the way. Another thing you need to understand also that makes Jehovah's Witnesses hard to reach is that the Jehovah's Witness religion is a secret society. Just like the Freemasons and the Mormons and, and other religious groups that has a lot of power, 
they have their secrets. In their religion, they have their own president, their own vice president, their own governing body, their own supreme court, their own judge uh, and, and uh, uh, court system and the whole nine yards. And Jehovah's Witnesses are made very aware that anyone who doesn't carry the party line, anyone who goes astray and begins thinking for themselves, will be kicked out of the group. And I want you to understand, this is how that process works, because they take this very seriously. They call it disfellowshipping. Let me explain to you how it works. When a Jehovah's Witness is recruited into the group, one of the first things the leaders make them do is to cut off communication with anyone in their life who's not a Jehovah's Witness. By doing that, it creates an amazing void within the heart of that person because they've had to cut off their closest friends and relatives. The leaders of the group, in turn, fills that void by making that Jehovah's Witness busy. They are constantly busy with books and magazines and going door to door and meetings and meetings and meetings, and their entire life soon begins to revolve around Jehovah's Witnesses and only Jehovah's Witnesses for the most part. Anyone outside the Jehovah's Witness group, they are told to classify them as filthy, loathsome, and disgusting. That's right out of their own Watchtower publication. Anyone who's not a member of the group is to be classified as filthy, loathsome, and disgusting. Only those who are in the group are classified as clean and pure and good. When they come to your door and you begin to show them the facts... They realize if they leave the group, there are consequences that are going to come down on them because by leaving the group, they join the class of the filthy, disgusting, and loathsome. They also realize that by leaving the group, another consequence that falls on them is a doctrine they have called shunning. The way the shunning works is... When you're in the group, everybody treats you like you're their buddy. But if you decide to think for yourself and leave the group... All of these people who were your buddies turns their back on you and they won't speak to you anymore. The leaders devised this plan because they know that if a Jehovah Witness leaves the group, they left the group for a reason, and that reason might be good enough that if other Jehovah Witnesses knew about it, they would leave too. So the Jehovah Witnesses know if somebody leaves the group, you're not to speak to them, you can't write to them, you can't call them, you can't communicate with them in any way, shape, manner, or form. And if you're found on the street saluting them or waving at them or saying hello to them, you'll be kicked out too. And just this fellowshipping practice, it doesn't matter in their religion. It can be a husband against a wife, a wife against her husband, a parent against their children, uh, mothers against dads, sisters against brothers. They don't care. If you leave the group, as far as they're concerned, you turn your life over to Satan and they want nothing more to do with you. And when you present the truth to Jehovah's Witnesses, one of the things that's going to be up against them is they feel, man, if I leave the group, I'm liable to lose my wife, I'm liable to lose my kids, or I'm liable to lose my husband and my kids and my reputation and my friends. And for some, they're just not ready to count the cost. So if you're presenting the facts to them, and they're given the impression that you're not getting through, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not getting through. They have a lot on their shoulders. And you also have to be ready that if they leave, they're going to need a friend outside the group because they've turned their back on their family, they've turned their back on their friends and all the people that were close to them. They're going to need somebody outside the group to be friends with. And one thing I recommend Christians do 
Be stern with Jehovah's Witnesses, but be loving. Because if they should decide to leave the group, you may be the only friend they have left. And they may remember, hey, you know, I went to that person's house, and you know, even though I didn't agree with them, they were very nice to me. Maybe I'll go back and speak to them. If you're mean to them, if you slam the door in their face or something like that, they're going to remember that, and they're going to pat themselves on the back and say, well, I must be in the truth, because if I was going the wrong way, and, and they knew I was going the wrong way, then they should have at least told me not to slam the door in my face. Okay? So these are some of the reasons why Jehovah's Witnesses are so hard to reach. They're under the control of their leaders. They don't know the Bible. They're, the way that they've been recruited, the way they've been brought in, what they've been taught, they're afraid of being kicked out of the group because they've been told that the outside world is wicked and evil in the whole nine yards. These are just some of the reasons why they're so hard to reach. Another thing to take into consideration when dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses is this fact. The Jehovah Witness religion is a company. It is a big business. As a company, they operate in that fashion. The people who go door to door are called publishers. Their whole gimmick is that they're out there giving out or selling these publications to people in hopes that these people will join their group so that they can in turn learn how to go door to door with magazines so that they can recruit more people in so that they can in turn go door to door with magazines and it goes on and on and on. And with the more people that come in, the more money the leaders make. The leaders of the group are the only ones getting rich off this whole thing. The followers are not. The followers don't realize that this religion is actually a big business making big money. The headquarters of the Jehovah Witness religion spans for many blocks in waterfront territory in New York City, in Brooklyn, New York. They have plenty of money. They have headquarters all over the world. They have tons of money. The ones who are not making the money are the people out there actually going door to door. You can also view Jehovah's Witnesses as door-to-door -door telemarketers. They believe they desperately have an item that you really need. They come to your house when you least expect it. They demand to be heard. For as long as they believe you're interested in their product, they're more than willing to talk to you. If they feel that you're not interested in their product, they can very quickly turn on you like a snake and get loud, argumentative, and rude. It's a lot to it that is very much like a telemarketer. And what you want to do is when they come to your door, you can protect your entire neighborhood by simply asking them a series of questions to stall them. They have a time limit as to how long they can stay in the particular neighborhoods. So you can protect your entire neighborhood by keeping them at bay at your house simply going through the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses don't know the Bible. They will claim they know the Bible, but from my own hands-on research dealing with them, I have learned that Jehovah's Witnesses doesn't matter if they've been there six months. It doesn't matter if they've been there. One Jehovah's Witness elder I was speaking to told me he'd been there for something like 58 years. It appears it doesn't matter how long they've been there. The average Jehovah's Witness only knows maybe 20 verses of the Bible. And of the 20 verses that they know, they've been taken out of context in order to fit their particular religious beliefs. Those are some things you need to take into consideration. Let me give you a couple of pointers before I go to let you know some things you can do to sort of help them start thinking. Jehovah's Witnesses, some of them actually honor the Bible. Most of them don't. They only honor what their leaders say. So one of the things you can do for them is this. 
Never try to teach them anything. They have been trained to be the teachers, so what you do is you give them questions to answer. And by them answering the questions, they end up sort of deprogramming themselves in a way. This is what I did with a Jehovah's Witness recently. I was driving around on Saturdays because I know they're going to be around on Saturdays, and I went directly to one of the Kingdom Hall parking lots and just sat there and waited for the Jehovah's Witnesses to come in. And this one guy comes in, and I talked with him literally for about two and a half hours. And one of the questions that I asked him, he stepped in it, and I wouldn't let him get out of it. I asked him this question. This is one of the questions you can use. I said, if you were to die right here and now, and you were to stand before God, and he was to ask you, why should he let you into his kingdom, what would your answer be? Would you make it into the kingdom if you were to die right now? There's not one Jehovah's Witness that can honestly answer that question with a yes, because their religion teaches them that they have to work for it, they have to earn it, they have to strive for it, but they're never told where the finish line is. Jehovah's Witnesses on their deathbed after being there 50, 60, 70 years die not even knowing whether they've been good enough. I posed this question to that Jehovah Witness, and he sat there, and he put his head down, and he just sort of smiled a little bit, and he says, uh, you know, uh, I can't answer that question. I said, that's a sad position. I said, how long have you been in this group? I think he said he'd been in there 28 years. I said, you've been there 28 years, and you don't know that if you died right now, whether you've done enough. No, I don't know, sir. This is one thing that separates true Christianity from the cults. In the cults, they have you working for the group, but they never tell you how much work is enough to get you in. The secret is, you can never do enough work to get you to heaven. No human being will ever earn their way to heaven, as according to the Bible, in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, for is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you think you're going to earn your way to heaven, you lose. You're not going to be able to earn your way in. God already made that clear. So when they tell me that they don't know, I simply tell them, as a Christian, I know that if I die today, I'm going to heaven. There's no doubt about it. And then I open up my King James Bible to the book of First John. And in the book of First John, chapter 5, verse 11 to 13, I read them this passage. As a matter of fact, I have them read it. That way they know I'm not trying to deceive them. I have them read it out of my King James Bible. And this is what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 to 13. Here's what it says. And this is the record, that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And then I turn to them and say, See, 
This is why you don't know if you're going to make it. Because the leaders of your group have you believing on the name of who they say is the Father. They have you believing on Jehovah. And they say Jehovah is the Father only. But the Bible says if you want eternal life, if you want to make it to the kingdom, you have to believe on the name of his Son, which is Jesus Christ. And the leaders of your group will not allow you to do that. So you have to make a choice. Are you going to follow what the Bible says to follow Jesus Christ, or are you going to follow what the Watchtower leaders say? And I leave it in their, their court for them to think about it. When you ask them questions also, what you want to do is you want to destroy their false foundation. We as Christians are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses are not built on that foundation. The Jehovah's Witnesses are built on the foundation of thus saith their leaders. If you can undermine their leaders, you have undermined their entire religion because their entire religion revolves around the false concept that God chose their leaders to be the only ones to distribute his truth. If you can show them that their leaders are not giving them what they call meat in due season, their entire religion falls apart because everything they do, the way that they talk, the kingdom halls they worship in, the books that they carry around, the whole nine yards, it all comes from their leaders. If they can be shown that their leaders have lied to them, it's over. Their whole religion collapses if you can show them that their leaders are lying. So when you pose to them a question, here's a technique to ask them. Ask them, for instance, does your leaders teach, not do you teach, no, does your leaders teach that no one has ever seen Jehovah God? All the Jehovah's Witnesses know their leaders teach that no one has ever seen Jehovah God. And they might even take you to the Bible verse which says no man has seen God at any time. Let them go ahead and do it. And then say, okay, do you have your Bible with you? Can you open up your Bible to a passage and can you explain it to me? Have them open up their Bible to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, and ask them to read it from their own Bible. This is what it says in their own Bible. Genesis 17, 1. When Abram got to be 99 years old, then Jehovah appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Verse 3. At this, Abram fell upon his face, and God continued to speak with him. Have them read that verse and say, What happened when Abraham turned 99 years old? Now, what you're doing is you are doing to them what the Watchtower did to them in reverse. The way the Jehovah's Witnesses got brainwashed was they brought to this person when they were first getting in Jehovah's Witness books and magazines. The way their books and magazines are written is they have paragraphs above and questions underneath. They are told to answer the questions from the paragraph above. That way they don't have to think. They have the question there. All they have to do is look in the paragraph. There's their answer. So what you're doing, you're saying, okay, read this paragraph. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Go back to the paragraph and get your answer the same way they've taught you to do. When you ask them, what happened when Abraham turned 99 years old? They go to the paragraph and it says, 
When Abram got to be 99 years old, then Jehovah appeared to Abram. It will not compute. You might have to do it seven, eight, nine, ten times to finally get it through their head that Jehovah God is appearing to Abraham. Don't let them try to dance away from it saying, well, it was an angel. Some of them are going to say, well, it wasn't really God. It was, it was the angel of Jehovah. Then if they answer that way, just ask them this. Doesn't your leader say that your Bible is the most correct translation? If it was angel of Jehovah, why didn't they say angel of Jehovah? Also ask them, if this is an angel, this angel blasphemed because he claimed to be God Almighty. Don't let them walk away from it. Because what you're doing is you're showing them. Their leaders said no one's ever seen Jehovah, but their Bible says Abraham saw him. Don't let them get away from it. Take them to Genesis 18, 1. Afterward, Jehovah appeared to him among the big trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of the tent. Verse 3. Then he said, Jehovah... If now I have found favor in your eyes, please do not pass by your servant. Obviously, he's seeing them to be able to determine whether he's going to walk past or not. And if they want to wrestle with you about it, that if they still want to say, this really wasn't Jehovah God, it was actually an angel or something, then you want to take them to Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, and ask them a question to put them right on the spot. Ask them, if Jehovah God himself said, I appeared to Abraham, would you believe him? Again, you might have to ask the question ten times to get it to compute, because in their religion they have it drilled into them that Jehovah God doesn't appear to anybody. So odds are they're going to wrestle with you over this, but just say, okay, you know, let's go to Exodus chapter 6, verse 3. Let's see what it says. This is what it says in their Bible. Start at verse 2. And God went on to speak to Moses and to say unto him, I am Jehovah, and I used to appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But as respects to my name, Jehovah, I did not make myself known to them. That should settle it. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, Jehovah, in their Bible, appears to Abraham under the name God Almighty. In Exodus 6, verse 2 and 3, Jehovah God himself confirms that he appeared to Abraham by the name God Almighty. What this will do is it will show them their leaders are teaching one thing, their Bible is teaching something else. Now, even though their Bible is corrupted, their Bible was written by their leaders. So you're going to have their leaders teaching two opposite things at the same time, and it's not going to compute. I want you to understand also, they're going to be at your door or they're at your house. They're going to be there with their leaders. They're going to be there with their friends. They are not going to want to show signs of weakness at the door because they know there will be consequences to come down on them if they do. Also remember... Once you do this, you become a threat to them. They do not like dealing with people who know the King James Version Bible. They don't like dealing with people that can rightly divide the Scripture. 
They only want people who are naive, who don't know the scripture, that can be easily molded into their religion. So you're only going to get one shot. Odds are when they leave your house after you do this, they will never, ever come back again. But what you're doing is you're planting the seed so that they can see, hold on a second, this isn't squaring. This doesn't make sense that our leaders are teaching one thing, our Bible is teaching something else. That's a technique you can use. Another technique you can use is this, once again, pitting their leaders versus their Bible. You can take them to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20 to 22. I want to read it out of my trusty King James Version. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if you say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. You can ask them, according to the Bible, what's the definition of a false prophet? A false prophet is one who claims to speak in the name of the Lord. Since you're speaking to them and the only word they know is Jehovah, you can say, well, you know, a false prophet is someone who claims to speak in the name of Jehovah, but what they prophesy doesn't come to pass. Then you can say this, does your leaders claim to speak in the name of Jehovah? Now, they tend to know where this road is leading. Some of them are going to try to dance around it, but stick with it. Ask them, does your leaders claim to speak in the name of Jehovah? Once they give you the positive answer, if they say no, you know they're lying. And, you know, if they say no, then ask them, why are you there then? If they're not speaking in the name of God, you know, why are you there? Why are you going door to door saying this religion is the truth? See, don't let them dance out of it, folks. Be nice about it, but be on the point. Once they say, yeah, our leaders represent Jehovah, then you want to ask them, okay, well, have they ever claimed to be prophets? Most Jehovah's Witnesses know that their leaders have claimed to be prophets. If they need some help, ask them do they have a pen. When they pull out their pen, just ask them to write down April 1st, 1972, Watchtower Magazine. April 1st, 1972, Watchtower Magazine. And what they'll find in that magazine is their leaders said, Does Jehovah have a prophet for the modern day? It says here, April 1st, 1972, page 197. The bottom section, it's going to be on the left-hand side, bottom paragraph. It says, so does Jehovah have a prophet to help them, to warn them of dangers, and to declare things to come? And then in bold letters, they have the words, identifying the prophet. And it says, these questions can be answered in the affirmative. Who is this prophet? And when you read down onto the right-hand side, they give you who they say the prophet is that Jehovah is using today. It says, this prophet, and the word prophet is in quotes, this prophet was not one man, 
but a body of men and women. It was a small group of footstep followers of Jesus Christ, known at that time as international Bible students. Today they are known as Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. They are still proclaiming a warning and have been joined and assisted in their commission work by hundreds and thousands of persons who have listened to their message with belief. Of course, it is easy to say that this group acts as a prophet of God. It is another thing to prove it. The only way that this can be done is to review the record. What does it show? Thanks for the challenge, Watchtower, to review your record to find out whether you're a true prophet or a false prophet. When they look this magazine up, that's what they're going to run into. Their leaders claim to be prophets. April 1st, 1972, Watchtower Magazine, page 197. So, since their leaders claim to speak in the name of Jehovah, and they claim to be prophets, then you can ask them, do you know of any time in the history of your religion that they made a false prophecy? The veteran is liable to have a conniption right there, because if the veteran's been there any length of time, they know about the false prophecy that the world was going to end in 1975. If they say, no, they don't know of any time, while they still got their pen in their hand, say, write down this book title and look it up at your kingdom hall. The name of the book is Life Everlasting in Freedoms of the Sons of God. Tell them on page 29 they will find what they're looking for. This is what it says on page 29 of their book, Life Everlasting in Freedoms of the Sons of God. According to this trustworthy Bible chronology, 6,000 years from man's creation will end in 1975 and the seventh period of a thousand years of human history will begin in the fall of 1975. So 6,000 years of man's existence on earth will soon be up, yes, within this generation. And if they still are questioning if that really means the world is going to come to an end, you turn over a couple of pages, as a matter of fact, you turn over one page, and the leaders of their group have put a chart inside this book. It says, in the year 4026 BCE, see they reject Jesus Christ, so they don't say BC, they say BCE, before the Common Era. They say in the year 4026, Adam was created, and they have this whole list of time here that they put together, which is supposed to be the human history uh, according to their timeline. And then it has here, at the very end, 1975, 6,000 years, End of the sixth 1,000-year day of man's existence in early autumn. Then it has 2975, 7,000, end of the seventh 1,000-year of man's existence in early autumn. That's the millennium. So this book, Life Everlasting and the Freedoms of the Sons of God, clearly they're saying the world was to come to an end in 1975, and that the millennium was to start in the autumn of 1975. Again, I brought this up to that Jehovah's Witness who had trouble answering my question earlier about whether or not he would make it to the kingdom after all of those years of being a Jehovah's Witness. And I asked him, do you know of any time that your leaders claim to be prophets? And he says, well, you know, I do remember something about, uh, you know, 1975. And, and that's, aha, uh -huh, gotcha. 
And I just did this. I said, sir, by your own words, you've condemned yourself. You've admitted your leaders claim to represent the God of heaven. You've admitted they claim to be prophets. And now you've admitted they've made false prophecies. And according to the Bible you claim to believe, the God of this Bible says, this religion you're in is a false prophet and you need to get out of there. Develop your own techniques. But what you're going to need to do, basic and simple, you want to be able to understand the Bible is not their final authority. They will never be able to see the Bible clearly until you move out of the way the theory that their leaders are from God. The way that you do it is you pit their leader's word versus the Bible. If that Jehovah Witness respects the Bible, he's going to see the leaders are teaching one thing, the Bible's teaching something else, and if he's smart, he's going to side with the Bible. Don't expect them to convert at your front door. It's going to have to be something that takes place in the privacy of their own home or their own time because there's a lot that they have to count. They have to count the cost. Don't force them. Don't twist their arm and force them to try to make a commitment at the door because you don't understand the ramifications of what they're going to have to deal with when they leave the group. And also, be ready to be their friend when they come out. They're going to need a friend. Okay? You're going to need people who are going to be able to help you out to deprogram them because when they come out, it's not over. When they come out, they still have all of these years and years and years of false doctrine still in their head that has to be corrected. And let me finish this way. Some of you didn't like the idea of me saying that the King James Version is the only correctly translated Bible in the English language. Let me just touch on that for about a couple of minutes. The Christian world has been flooded with counterfeit Bible translations. These new Bible versions from the NIV, America Standard, New America Standard, Revised Standard, New Revised Standard, Today's English, New Century Edition, the Living Bible, the Amplified, the Good News for Modern Man, the whole list of them. Do you know how to tell the difference between a counterfeit Bible and a real one? Let me show you some things you can do. Grab your Bible version, whatever version you have, and check to see whether or not your Bible has these verses in them or whether these verses have been taken out. Matthew 17:21, Matthew 18:11, Matthew 23:14, Mark 7:16. 1126, 11-26, 11-26, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 15-28, 
if you have in the book of Luke chapter 11 a very strange rendering of the Lord's Prayer a Lord's Prayer that removes heaven that removes thy will be done that removes deliver us from evil I want you to understand from someone who's done research into the occult that what they have done in the New Bible translations is they place the Christian version of the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew and they place the occultic version of the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke. Just take a look at it. Why would you want a Bible version that removes a bunch of verses from the Bible and has the occultic version of the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke? You'll see the King James Version has the Christian version of the Lord's Prayer in both Matthew and Luke. If you have a Bible version where they have confused Lucifer for the morning star in Isaiah 14. Who's the morning star according to Revelation 22? Jesus Christ said, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify to you these things. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is the morning star. In the King James Version for Isaiah 14.12, it says, How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. In the New Bible Versions, that verse has been changed to read, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. Did Jesus Christ fall from heaven? Now, there are going to be some who try to say, well, you know, uh, this verse is actually talking about Lucifer, and, and uh, they call him Morning Star, Light Bearer, blah, blah, blah. But say, hold on a second. Look down a couple of verses where the King James Version says, you shall be cast down to hell. The New Bible Version say instead, you shall be cast down to the grave. If that verse is supposed to be about Lucifer in the New Bible Versions, can somebody explain to me how Lucifer, who is a spirit, is going to be placed into a grave? You don't place spirits in graves. They don't stay in there. They have changed those verses around in Isaiah to make it into the fall of Jesus Christ so that it will match the occult. These new Bible versions are not from God, folks. If I had more time, I would get into it. But I just recommend you go to the Underground Christian Network site and look up my other message that I have about the Bible versions, and you'll see more detail about these major changes. I have major problem with Bible translations that come out that are agreeing with the Jehovah Witness translation like the new Bible versions are doing. Jehovah Witness translations have removed the same verses the NIV and the American Standard and all these new Bibles have removed from theirs. And it makes witnessing to Jehovah Witnesses even harder because when I go to them and I show them that their Bible version has verses missing, they turn around and say, well, you know, you're Christian Bible, you're NIV and American Standard and all. They have verses missing too, so what are you mad about us for? I've had them do it. I've had them do it. So, folks, if you're going to witness to them, we've got to be able to tell the difference between a fake Bible and a real one. And if you have an NIV, American Standard, New American Standard, any of these new ones, with all due respect, if they have these verses missing, if they've changed these doctrines and so forth, it's not a Bible from God, folks. Either the Bible is the Word of God, or it's not. Either it's the complete Word of God, or it's not God's Word at all. Can we at least agree with that? Okay? The only Bible version that is complete, that has all the verses, all the doctrines, all the teachings correct, is the authorized King James Version. 
And when you buy a King James Version, I have to say this too, because I'm noticing that some of these Bible publishing companies, which are promoting the new translations, have also gotten into the business of printing altered versions of the King James. I would say, do not get a Bible version printed by Thomas Nelson Publishers. Do not get one printed by Zondervan. Okay, that's a recommendation from me. If push come to shove, go to an old bookstore and find yourself the oldest King James Version Bible you can find that doesn't have all these ties with political correctness and all the stuff that's going on in the world today. There's a great delusion going on. And when the Jehovah Witnesses are coming door to door with bogus Bibles, if you come to them with a bogus Bible, what kind of leg are you going to be able to stand on? How can you show them their Bible has verses missing if your Bible's got verses missing? And one thing that I've learned is that Jehovah's Witnesses cannot stand up to the King James Version. They laugh at the new versions. They actually promote the new versions. So I'm going to leave it at that, folks. That should be uh, enough to chew on for a while. And if you need some more help, let me give you some uh, places you can go to to get some more information that can do much better than I have because they've done much more research than myself. And if you get a little discouraged also, thinking you know, that you're, all your witnessing is in vain, I recommend that you check out MacGregorMinistries.org. That's M-A-C-GregorMinistries.org. That's uh, Laurie and Keith McGregor. Laurie was a former Jehovah Witness for 15 years. She knows the insides and the outsides of that group. Uh, she finally came out in 1975, got saved, and now she's out helping people get out of cults, including uh, Mormons and Seventh-day Adventists, but mainly she focuses on trying to reach people and get them out of Jehovah's Witnesses. On their website, you will find, golly, a whole bunch of testimonies of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses as they tell their story of what happened to them when they were in there. And if you really want some encouragement to help you in witnessing to these people, listen to the testimonies of these ex-Jehovah's Witnesses and build strength knowing that you're witnessing to them, though it may appear to bounce off of them at the door. For some of them it sticks in and like a seed begins to grow. And over time, they may be able to see their way out of there. So, folks, that's about it. I hope this message helps you as you try to reach people who are involved in Jehovah's Witnesses. Until next we meet, this has been the Underground Christian Network. You're tuned in with the Underground Christian Network.